Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. Mike and Mike record podcasts. They recorded a podcast about the fact that they record podcasts. And one of those podcasts is Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. My name is Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is a man who lives in a society (laughs) where honor is a distant memory. (laughs) Isn't that right? Mike DeCrecio. <laughs> Mike DeCrecio, that's me. Did producer Colin put you up to that? No, uh, that was actually a, a user-submitted intro from uh, super music supervisor Kyle Colin. Amazing. <laughs> Incredible. God damn it, Kyle. Uh, technically, you didn't reuse the Joker bit, so we're going to let it stand. I'm committed to not doing the Joker bit anymore until it becomes relevant again, but... <laughs> We couldn't pass that one up. Uh, yeah, obviously, the uh, the the Snyder Cut Justice League trailer uh, just came out the other day, and that's coming out on HBO Max next month. Uh, and some like I was in, was in genuine disbelief when the trailer ended with Jared Leto's Joker saying the line from the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. <laughs> just absolutely galaxy brain nonsense. It's it's, it's insane. But uh, how are you doing today, Mike? <laughs> Uh, I'm doing great. I'm excited uh, for today's guest and what, what we're going to talk about. Yes. And obviously we're talking about the Snyder Cut trailer. So Nick Wormuth, <laughs> your thoughts on, oh God. on the trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> Lists of things I don't want to be associated with, but I, I guess I'll accept it. Um, <laughs> I don't know why he changed the aspect ratio. I don't know why they would bring back the worst Joker in the world, but I'm going to watch the movie probably at least three times. So. You know- <laughs> I mean, you've watched Batman vs Superman how many times, Nick? Um, it was before I had Letterbox, so I haven't completely kept track. But there was a certain time where it was just like my I'm bored. I'm not doing anything. This movie's <laughs> going on in the background or I'd put it on to go to sleep and then not go to sleep. So, Perfect. yeah, you know, it's a nightmare in of itself. I'm weirdly excited for the Snyder Cut just because it looks so fucking bonkers. Uh, and it, <laughs> yeah. like, it is like and there's been so many changes to it where it was supposed to be like this four hour miniseries. And now it's back to a movie. And yeah, the aspect ratio changed. Like it looks nothing like the Justice League movie that came out back in 2017, which is kind of wild. And I know there's going to be like two and a half hours of extra footage or whatever. Uh, it's going to be a train wreck, probably, but like a really artistic train wreck. Hmm. <laughs> I think. That's all we can ask for. Yeah, a beautiful yeah. disaster. So. A beautiful disaster is my is my fingers crossed hope for for Justice League Snyder Cut, uh, which uh, I'm throwing it out there on the podcast. I'm actively encouraging Mike DiCrecio to watch it so he can review it, but I'm also not going to force him to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I have zero interest, but maybe. Yes, perhaps. I mean, it's going to be weird because I'm going to have like a vague, like sense memory of stuff that happened in Justice League. I'm guessing when I watch it, but I also have not watched Justice League or thought about it since it came out in theaters. Uh, And I have like very little memory of anything that happened in that movie. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's a real thing. (laughs) It's on HBO Max.
But today we are actually not talking about the trailer for uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Unfortunately, Nick is joining us because uh, Nick, you texted me like a couple a couple weeks ago saying that you were going to be doing the entire Sundance Film Festival, which was virtual this year. Yes. So someone on Twitter tweeted out that for the first time they were doing not only virtual screenings, but they were opening up to the public. So in lieu of being able to take a vacation, because obviously we've all been kind of stuck where we are for the last few months, I was like, I'll see how expensive this really is. And uh, as much as I'm somewhat ashamed to admit it, I did spend $350 on the (laughs) entire one week pass. Um, Yeah. But I didn't. All in all, it's very exhausting. I do not know how professional movie reviewers do it. I guess if I was getting paid, I would be uh, doing it more often than not. But uh, yeah, I, I can I can do without another film festival for a few months. But I'm very, very happy that I took part in this one. Nice. Um, did you have any questions about Sundance? Or <laughs> well, we're, we're going to talk about like your experience in Sundance in a couple of minutes, Nick. I think I just wanted to get the intro out there that you went okay. to Sundance and that's going to be part of this episode. Uh, so we'll be talking about Nick's experience doing the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, And also, we uh, are continuing our tradition of the Guest Makes Mike's Watch on this episode. This is our second ever Guest Makes Mike Watch episode. Nick, we asked you what movie you wanted us to watch. You chose 2008's Lake Mungo, which is a title that I think I had heard in the past, but I hadn't really, I wasn't really familiar with the movie at all. And I think Mike had the same reaction, right, Mike? Yeah, this was like, when you texted me that, I, I think I mentioned last week or so, my initial reaction or my like memory that this conjured was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I've heard about this. I think this is like some like weird 70s cannibal movie. Like I thought like I my brain went to cannibal holocaust and I have no idea why. Like I don't know what association I have with that like those words and that movie. Uh, and then you're like, oh, no, it's on like from 2008. <laughs> like, oh, all right. Okay, cool. Um yeah. So, yeah, I'd heard of it, but I don't know where or why. Yes. So (laughs) we'll be talking about Lake Mungo uh, later in the episode. And Nick will go into why he chose that movie for us to watch uh, after he talks about some Sundance stuff. Before we get into all that, got to tell you that all the theme songs you're going to hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. If you ever want to contact us, respond to what we did on the show, you can email us over at Mike Mike, go to the movies at gmail.com. And now let's get into Nick's experience at the Sundance Film Festival virtual edition this year. Uh, And to do that, this is kind of a discussion segment. So we're playing the discussions theme song. Just when I thought I said all I could say, my buddy and I talk about movies we see. There is so much to see, you and me. So we're going to talk about movies for our discussions. All right. So we're talking Nick's experience uh, at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival, which he got to experience entirely from his living room. Uh, I will tell you, Nick, when you texted me that you were doing this, I considered doing it myself. But A, I didn't think I'd be able to do the entire like full week run of Sundance. I was considering doing like the one day pass, uh, which was like a seventy five dollar thing. And you watch whatever movies were scheduled on that day. And I was considering doing it, but the timing just didn't work out super well. But you actually like took off work for this. Right. And you were like just basically doing nothing but watching movies for a week. Yes, I didn't take off the full week. So thankfully, it started on a Thursday night. So I worked that day and then watched the two premieres that night and then took off Friday and the following Monday. So it was basically Thursday through Monday night. I was watching Sundance premieres the entire time. Like I said, it was very exhausting, but a really rewarding experience. And it's really exciting to be on like the forefront of like, because usually you hear about these movies in January and then you don't get to see them until the 
spring. But it was interesting to see myself like, oh, I logged this on Letterboxd and I'm one of four people so far who've done it. So it's right. just, I don't know. There's there's that entitled like elitism thing that a lot of film <laughs> reviewers get. And now I'm finally one of them. So, uh, yeah. Nice. But yeah, I mean, the Sundance Film Festival is the place where so many of the uh, the big critically acclaimed movies of the year tend to get their start. And, you know, there's a history of movies like Quentin Tarantino was discovered there and, you know, Kevin Smith, to name two examples. Uh, <laughs> maybe not the best example. The most like Smith examples of all time. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I mean? Like there's like so many directors have gotten their start at Sundance and every year there's always like at least a couple of big movies that end up getting talked about throughout the year. I know in 2020, uh, one of the biggest hits of Sundance was Palm Springs, uh, which I think at the time was the biggest sale at Sundance ever. Like the right. distributor of that movie bought it for a certain amount of money that was more than any movie had ever been bought at Sundance. And then COVID hit and they couldn't put it in theaters. So they put it on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> which which worked out for Hulu. That was one of the most talked about uh, kind of indie comedies of the summer. So, yeah, this year you got to watch. Did you get to see like pretty much all the major movies of Sundance this year, Nick? Yes. Uh, the only one that I missed out on the big premiere of was Judas and the Black Messiah. But that was it was premiering like the second to last day. And I believe it's also on HBO Max right now. So, yes. As much as I want to see that movie, at, at like I said, I was exhausted at that point and just needed <laughs> any sort of comfort movie. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, the big ones were on the very first night they premiered Coda, which I think was a, it was just purchased by Apple and similar to Palm Springs, that one was a giant. Like, yeah, I believe, I believe it broke Palm Springs' record actually. Yeah. And that doesn't as much as I love Palm Springs, but this is very much feels like a family heartwarming movie. Uh, Coda is child of deaf adults. So it was basically uh, Marley Matlin's in it. There's a, a guy who played one of the Tuscan Raiders in the most recent season of uh, The Mandalorian when they were doing sign language. And OK, basically, it's an all deaf cast except for the main girl who's just the child of this. I'm talking about this movie because it was one of my favorites at Sundance and it was a great way to start off. But it was just a heartwarming movie about basically the, like the burden of being a caregiver and her one talent was singing and having deaf parents. Obviously, that's a difficult thing because no one can fully appreciate what well, your true gift to the world. Uh, and that was how sure. Sundance started. So that was a great start to it all. Uh, among the other big premieres, I know there was Robin Wright's directorial debut, Land, which I found quite interesting, but was also looked more like an L.L. Bean catalog than <laughs> a movie. <laughs> um, and I, I know in like the post Q&As, because most of the movie premieres did have the filmmakers, the actors, all these other people coming in on Zoom and just speaking about it all afterwards which is fantastic and you could type in questions in the Q&A unfortunately none of mine made it through but <laughs> again it's just a experience in of itself but just it's it's exciting to see the collaborative effort of all of this because you get the presenters who've never seen it you get everyone in the audience who's just typing in hi i'm from wherever and they did like a shout out thing in the beginning but there were too many people but like they couldn't read off all the locations but it's just an exciting experience to be able to do that with everyone um, I feel like I got off on a little bit of a tangent there talking about the first movie. <laughs> Go for um, it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just other than that, there was a great selection of short films. There was live action animated. There was a whole, I can't remember the name of it now. Oh, yes. Ghost Dogs, which is a five minute animated movie about uh, these anthropomorphic dogs that come to life due to a Satanistic ritual. That's a big one I think people should look out for. Amazing. Don't know how to look out for it because it's a five minute short film about ghost dogs. <laughs> um, uh, other than that, there was Coming Home in the Dark, which was a New Zealand horror film, uh, which was unfortunately that was where I 
ended my Sundance experience because things just got too grim and too dark. And after a certain point, you just need something happy. And maybe that's poor film reviewer in me. But <laughs> after five full days of uh, sadness, you can make a movie and have it be good without it being just traumatic. And yeah. that's my that's my cry to almost all directors. Um, <laughs> but that that one was very interesting. And then as a remedy to that, there was also the Street Gang, which is the Sesame Street documentary about public broadcasting. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the Mr. Rogers documentary movie from a few years ago, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And other than that, there was uh, a couple of foreign language films that are worth noting, El Planeta and The Dog Who Wouldn't Be Quiet, which is a strange name, but it's a very strange movie. <laughs> uh, and the two biggest movies that I was a fan of were probably Eight for Silver, which was a Boyd Holbrook-led werewolf movie set in the early 1900s. Uh, it does the werewolf lore as you would somewhat expect, just the way they do the transformations and everything, as much as it is CGI-laden, CGI it is a very interesting take on it. And then finally was Mass, which was a very, very, again, back to the theme of everything being tra traumatic this year, it was uh, the parents of a school shooter and the parents of the victim of a school shooting sitting in a room and talking it out for two full hours. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> with great performances from Martha Plimpton, Jason Isaacs and character actress Ann Dowd. And that one was directed by Fran Kranz. Uh, he was, the wait, really? <laughs> yes. It was very strange to be introduced because going into it, you really don't know anything other than the one paragraph long Sundance, like synopsis, but it usually mentions the collaborators more than the actual plot. He came on to the Zoom call immediately beforehand and was just very somber. And I was like, I don't know what this movie's about. Came yep. out of it very much understanding that. But <laughs> to, up until that point, I knew him from Cabin in the Woods and the Hitch preview that played before my DVD copy of Spider-Man 2. Um, <laughs> but... I, I guess you find talent in the uh, least likely places, I guess. Yeah, um, that's a very, uh, that's, that premise is a very un-Fran Kranz vibe, uh, <laughs> considering yeah. well, he's the stoner in Cabin in the Woods. He was in Dollhouse, the other Joss Whedon thing, which feels weird to bring up Joss Whedon right now, considering everything that's happened over the last few days, but he was in a lot of Joss Whedon stuff. I saw I saw him on Broadway doing Death of a Salesman, too, and it just, it, it was like right after Cabin in the Woods, and he wasn't like the salesman or anything. He, he was like the, the neighbor guy or whatever. Uh, he's like the neighbor of the family. Um, but that was more like in the vibe of Fran Kranz. Like, and even then it just felt like he just kind of seems like the stoner from Cabin in the Woods. To yeah. Me. Yeah. It's, it's still pretty hard to separate him from that. But I, again, just the amount of talent they were able to get. Um, it was great to see into people's houses. Um, I got to see what Ed Helms's fireplace looks like. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we'll get into prisoners of the ghost land, but Nicholas Cage could not attend the, uh, Skype call. I don't know. I, I assume it's because it was about 1 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. And if he's yeah. anywhere near me or he's just off filming 10 other movies, who really knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it, all around a very fun experience. It's just the mental taxation, even though it was completely self-imposed, was just I, I've never felt that way after watching that many movies in a row. But I don't know. That's my general Sundance takeaway. <laughs> nice. Okay. Some good highlights there. But you would say the coda is definitely the big takeaway for, for the for the festival, you think? Yeah. And I think that one's going to be the fan favorite throughout the year, assuming it gets put on Apple Plus sometime soon. I'm not really yeah. sure what their release plans are. I think Obviously, I saw that. Yeah, it's going to hit the streaming service, but also hit 
you know, theaters, it, like a lot of stuff is going into theaters and streaming at the same time, but mostly just because theaters are barely open as it, <laughs> as yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's so. more just like, yeah, if a theater is open near you, then sure, have at it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I do have to ask you about Prisoners of the Ghostland, uh, which going into Sundance and typically going into these film festivals, especially Sundance, you haven't really heard of most of the movies that are about to be shown. You know, it's mostly stuff that's being shown for the first time. Uh, but Prisoners of the Ghostland is one that we have been following uh, on our podcast because it stars Nicolas Cage. And we used to do a podcast where we watched every single movie that uh, Nicolas Cage has ever starred in, uh, which we'll be returning to in a couple of weeks. We're taking a hiatus from Goldblum starting at episode 50 and uh, checking in with Cage and reviewing the movies he's made since 2019. And so Prisoners of the Ghostland is a movie that uh, if it comes out within the next few months, we'll probably end up talking about it pretty soon on the podcast. But you told me that it is terrible. You told me like you hated it. You gave like a half star view on Letterboxd. Uh, and then the response around it outside of just you, Nick, is that it seems fine. <laughs> like two and a half wow. to three stars is like kind of what I'm seeing mostly. But yours is like, you know, strict hatred for this movie. It seems like I think if you're if you're in the pocket for this movie, it'll probably work for you based on what I know about you guys. I'm sure there'll be enjoyment from it. But I just I, again, it was it was the sheer exhaustion of it and just the best pair I can give to it is probably Hobo with a Shotgun, where it's just everyone is screaming, there's blood in nonsensical places, things just keep happening and it. No, I, I watched it with my friend Dan because in, intermittently throughout Sundance I had people show up in my basement where I was premiering everything on the screen down there. <laughs> yeah, I just kept turning to him going, are we supposed to know who that is or what's going on? <laughs> And as much as that's fun afterwards to talk about, I just the entire experience, at least for me, was miserable. And and in the Zoom call afterwards, Nicolas Cage nowhere to be found. But f- poor Sofia Botelli was just sitting there grimacing. The director seemed very proud of himself. And as far as I can understand, this is his first English language movie. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's just different sensibilities or something. That's the most positive <laughs> sort of response I can give to it. <laughs> I will not be watching the movie again, but hopefully it gets picked up so uh, you guys can see what I had to see. I will say, Nick, I like Hobo with a Shotgun. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think it's pretty good. <laughs> I, I like Hobo with a Shotgun, too. I don't I, I don't know. It feels more pure in that sense, whereas this feels like it's ripping off a lot of other things like Escape from New York, Assault on Priest, a lot of Carpenter stuff, actually. Yeah. Um, but and it's just so nonsensically driven. But uh, again, I, I don't want to give away plot points, but I don't know if I could if I tried. <laughs> um, but if you if you like Nicolas Cage in an explosion suit, basically helping people through war torn cities and like a Mad Max esque thing, it's. See, me describing it makes me think I would like it, but it's just the yeah. worst. I don't you, know. You, just, you describing it makes it sound like hell comes to frog town. <laughs> Damn it. Well, there's no frog people in this one. All right. Um, but, All right so that's a, that's a point against it for sure. Yeah. But, but otherwise, it sounds very similar. Yeah, there is a character named Ratman, and he does have a rat clan. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should rewatch the movie. <laughs> I mean, I have heard some mixed things. Like, you're not, I, I think... It's, you know, kind of mixed or divisive. Uh, I've heard at least on like a couple podcasts, like one or two people have been yeah. like, yeah, I can see why some like same thing you're saying, Nick. Like I can see people that will like this. But for me, you know, they just it didn't land for them. So I don't know. I mean, I'm interested. I mean, hopefully it comes out in time for us to get to it, because I think it'll at least be fun to talk about. Oh, yeah, yeah certainly. Yeah. And so. I mean, when it, when it was, you know, when they announced it was premiering at Sundance, I was thinking to myself like, oh, this could be the next Mandy. This could be the next color out of space, like the next big chapter 
in the Nicolas Cage comeback. And uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's uh, it has quite that same reaction as those movies did. <laughs> Certainly not. And uh, yeah, this is from someone who loves Mandy. I love Moonstruck. I know that's those are two very different things to say at once, but I don't know. In general, I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan, and this one just didn't do anything for me other than give me a headache. So I don't know. I don't want to keep talking about Prisoners of Ghosts. <laughs> All right, over. fair enough. Yeah. All right. So that's the Sundance Film Festival experience for Nick. So, Nick, thanks for, uh, you know, recapping that uh, gives us a little bit of a, you know, a, a little bit of prestige on the podcast yeah. to be able to talk about Sundance, <laughs> uh, you know, before I, the movies come out. I hope they um, continue doing this. Like, obviously, you said this is the first time that it's been open to the public one and two. Obviously, it's virtual. And I think a couple other film festivals have done this sort of thing. Uh, and yeah. I hope I hope that, you know, if we return to being able to see people in person again, um, it'd be really cool that these kind of things uh, were made accessible this way, because that's awesome that, you know, normally we would never be able to go to this. Uh, and now you got to experience it. So hopefully, hopefully it sticks around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, and I've done like a couple of film festivals like in my day, like I've done the Montana Film Festival here, which is only like four days. Uh, and that happens at the Roxy, which is the theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. You know, there's like a total of like 10 movies that pop up during the Montana <laughs> Film Festival. And I would catch like three or four of them. Uh, I also did. A, I covered the Tribeca Film Festival like two years in a row when I was working for Filmbook. Um, but that was also like a thing where like I could only, like they would ask me to cover it for like the entire week. And a half that it happened and i was like i'm in school guys like i gotta <laughs> i can squeeze in like a saturday where i can travel to new york city and go see like two movies and then i'm done yeah. <laughs> you know uh so to be able to do it virtually is a, is a pretty awesome thing yeah uh, the one thing that i think that was left to be desired was the scheduling of it all because there was you could see it at the premiere and then a full 24 hours later they would open up another streaming window which was called like second site or something like that yeah and that that was a very helpful tool but then it also led to the point where I was watching all these premieres and then I had this huge back catalog and the more movies you watch, the less you want to watch seven movies in a day, which is what I was doing. And yeah. uh, if they could just make them all like immediately streamable and then figure it out afterwards, like I'm sure there's some security reasons why they're doing it the way they are. So that way there's no pirating and things like that. But I don't know. There are things that can be streamlined, but I would love for this to become the norm, at least for now. Because, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of times where you hear a movie announced. I haven't seen Nomadland. I haven't seen Minari. I haven't seen any of the 2020 movies that came out at film festivals because they still don't have full wide releases, really. So, yeah, be which great both, the, both of those are hitting in the next couple of weeks on streaming yeah. services. You know what uh, I'm mad about? St. Maud is getting buried on epics. And that's dumb. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's where it's streaming first. Uh, in the oh, US. Uh, so That's so weird. Just saying, uh, if you want a link, let me know. Because <laughs> <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> uh, I've been catching up because uh, I, I really want to see St. Maud, and uh, yeah. I have my old uh, Fangorias from the past couple of months, which typically my strategy, because I'm like way behind on all of them, is uh, you know whenever I have like 15 minutes to kill while my girlfriend's getting ready or something, I'll open up Fangoria and just read a couple of articles. Uh, but I recently got to one that they had released like right before COVID hit, uh, and St. Maud was like the cover story. Yeah. Uh, and they had like a whole like spread about St. Maud and like everything about this movie and it seemed really cool and then it just never got really <laughs> yeah. released. Well, it got released in the UK and I only because there's one film critic uh, I think written by Ahmed is the Twitter handle that's like obsessed yeah. with this movie and I think it, they live in the UK uh, and it's coming out on home video there now and then so it's hitting the US streaming on the Epic's streaming service and it's like I'm not going to sign up for an entire streaming service for this one movie so right. uh, you know, y yo ho. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm sure it's going to be available. I, I feel like it'll probably get pushed around somewhere yeah, else. I'm uh, sure in a in, month or two. 
But yeah, it'll, it'll pop up somewhere else. But uh, all right. So that's St. Maud. And that is Nick's uh, Sundance experience. <laughs> uh, but all right. So that, I think, wraps up our discussion segment of the show. Now we got to talk about the movie that uh, Nick made us watch. It's time to talk Lake Mungo. I hope they choose right. Mike's watching Mike's movie. Picked for him specially. The following is based on true events. Can you interpret dreams? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. How do you feel when you wake up from these dreams? They scare me a bit. For Alice Palmer, underneath the hopes of a bright future were suspicions I feel like something bad is going to happen to me. That death was near. You scared of dying? Yeah, of course I'm scared of dying. That was the last time that I saw her. I kept hearing noises in the hallway. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. I feel like I can't do anything. I think Ellie saw a ghost. I didn't have any rational explanation for who was in those photos. Something was happening inside that house and I wanted to find out what it was. There was a ghost in the house. All right, that was in the trailer for Lake Mungo, a 2008 Australian horror film directed by Joel Anderson. It stars Talia Zucker, Rosie Trainer, David Pledger, Martin Sharp, Steve Drodrell, and much more. Uh, and Nick, you chose this movie to make us watch this past weekend to talk about on the podcast. And uh, like I said before, this is a movie that I had very little familiarity with. And uh, Mike, same deal. He thought it was a 70s monster movie with cannibals. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we looked it up and discovered that it's a, a very different movie than the movie that we had in our minds. Uh, so why did you choose Lake Mungo to make us watch this week? Well, I stumbled upon it in a very strange way where I think I was watching a review for, oddly enough, Mandy, and one of the film reviewers had just brought up, like, oh, the most disturbing movies, like, psychologically that they'd seen in the last few years. This one came up in passing, and I was like, Mungo's a cool name. I'll just keep that in the back of my brain. (laughs) Uh, And then about a year ago, I was just scrolling through Amazon Prime, stumbled upon it myself and went, I guess tonight's the night where I get Lake Mungo'd. (laughs) And uh, I I sat down, watched it, was incredibly emotionally disturbed by it. I love the way it displayed grief and certain family members dealing with it. And I just love listening to uh, people from New Zealand talk. So big Flight of the Concords fan, big (laughs) uh, Lord of the Rings fan. This just falls right into the pocket there and uh, I love horror movies so yeah, especially, uh, especially the dad from this family really reminded me of Korg from Thor Ragnarok <laughs> oh yeah just yeah the, the candidness in which they all talk is just so fascinating to me yes. especially in just a, a horror sense but 
we'll we'll get into that. Um, but how, what did you guys think of Lake Mungo? <laughs> uh, yeah. So again, we really had no familiarity with this, uh, and you know, we watched it this past weekend. So, Mike, why don't you go first? What were your thoughts on Lake Mungo? Which, by the way, is streaming on Amazon, but not under the name Lake Mungo. It's After Dark colon Lake Mungo. Yes. <laughs> which is yeah. kind of weird, and it makes it seem like it's part of like a larger series of movies <laughs> that I don't think exist. Yeah, I looked it up. Uh, I happened to go through the Wikipedia page, which I'm sure we all have by now. That it was picked up by Legendary or something. I forget what the distributor was. At the looks like, like looks like Lionsgate. Lionsgate is actually, that who was it? Was. Yeah, at the uh, After Dark Film Festival or Horror Fest or something. So it's like they named it after the movie festival that they bought the movie. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> right. uh, at least the entry on Amazon. Um, right. Yeah. So it's After Dark Lake Mungo. And absolutely, Nick. This is the most fun title of a movie that's ever existed. This it's this. It's, it's a pigs. good name to say. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> only, the, two, the two most fun movies ever to say the names of. Um, yep. uh, uh, but yeah, overall, Lake Mungo, um, I didn't really I I guess maybe I had heard it was a documentary thing. And that's why I had made it that like 70s cannibal movie in my brain. Like, I don't oh, know. You're thinking found footage yeah. type deal. Like which and you're not a big found footage fan. No, typically not. Although this movie, I think has found footage segments. And I think that's what saves it for me is that it's mostly like a documentary with like, you know, intercut with found footage, quote unquote. Uh, right. This this is the movie that is made with the footage that is found in every other movie. Right. That's not yes. just the raw footage. Um, right. Yeah. Like this is the documentary that comes out the year after the Blair Witch Project footage is found. Right. And I think this is it. It, it lends it so much more, you know, like veracity or verisimilitude or whatever, whatever the word would be for it feels more real where it feels like, you know, the kind of thing you just stumble upon this random documentary about this this family that had this tragedy occur and the weird shit that went on around it uh, or after it. And it's kind of just really un- unassuming, I think, in the first act. I was eating dinner when I was watching this movie or when I started it. And then we like smash cut to a body and I was like holy fuck like I was genuinely like had to put like put my foot fork down I was like really affected by that moment because <laughs> I didn't know what it was going to be and it starts off really slow and it's just kind of setting the what's going on with the family and the relationships and the stuff around the inciting incident it's unassuming and I think like you said that the accents like you get put I was personally like put off guard a lot like oh man I can let my guard like these people are, are friendly and it's nice and then smash cut to that and then holy shit and then it just keeps getting spiraled, spiral and spiral, worse and worse and worse. Uh, and yeah, I had a really good time with Lake Mungo. I don't know. I saw a lot of people saying it's like scariest movie of the last decade or whatever recently. And I don't know if it quite hits that level for me personally, but I right. understand like, you know, I don't remember the re- release of this movie. I could see this having been one of those like viral, like, is this real question mark kind of things, uh, which yeah. I would be interested to see where yours reactions to that was. Yeah, I mean, I, I also liked like Mungo. I think it was good. Uh, I didn't love it, but I, I did really appreciate what they were doing here. Uh, and it is. I mean, it's a pretty short movie. It's like 90 minutes. And those first like 20 to 30 minutes are just them grieving over their daughter. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it takes a while before any like paranormal stuff starts to happen in the movie. And then, you know, we're in full spoilers for the movie. About halfway through, it turns out None of that paranormal stuff actually happened. But then this paranormal stuff actually (laughs) did, (laughs) you know, Uh, so the way the way it presents information and kind of pulls the rug out from under you, I thought was really effective and uh, and really solid. Um, But yeah, I liked like Mungo. I thought it was very good. I think, uh, you know, and again, it helps that uh, these are professional actors for the most part, but they are people that are relative unknowns. Like they've only appeared on like 
Australian TV pretty much. And that's it. And so it helps that like, that kind of helps sell the realism of it, too, where it's like it's trying to be an actual documentary of this like kind of weird paranormal thing. Like this feels like something you could be watching on you know, whatever one of those channels show a ghost hunters TV show, like sci-fi or something like, right. <laughs> like it feels like a recreation of something they could be doing, but a much better and more realistic version of that. Yeah. I, I, I had a lot of fun with that stuff too, with the, with, or that aspect of it where it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it feels like it could be a, oh man, I can't think of those, you know, something on like the I, investigation channel or something like you, like you said, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that was fun. Yeah, Nick, um, what were you going to say? Echoing most of that, I, I like that, yeah, if I had stumbled upon this, never hearing it in that, because I have a bats of Amazon insomnia where I just go through there and I just play anything in the middle of the night. There's a great yeah. movie called Crab Monsters. Maybe that'll be my next one. Um, but <laughs> it's just, if I had stumbled upon this not knowing that it was a movie, I think, at least for a majority of it, because even, like you said, they debunk the paranormal stuff halfway through, so it feels like one of those shows where, oh, we found Bigfoot, and then uh, actually Greg down the street found a suit and put it on and walked across. Right. <laughs> and that's how a lot of this is displayed. But just, yeah, personally, I love this movie. Actually, the first time I watched it was Amazon, middle of the night. Second time, uh, the screen that's now in my basement, I had in my backyard up against the woods, which I think Ooh. gave it a whole nother uh, level to it. And that nice. made me like it even more. But just personally, I get creeped out not by things that are just instantly scary but i really like just like the looming dread of it all and just the helplessness that alice's character who basically is non-existent in the entire movie other than images of her and old videos of her just uh, the way that she displays that and just how the family's own grief basically leads them to delve into things that they probably shouldn't know in the first place mm -hmm. like I find that stuff a million times scarier than anything else. And even like uh, something like Hereditary, where it also deals with grief, but in a much more cinematic way, this hurts me even more because it feels like real people crying over their daughter because it's done like a documentary. And it just, yeah, uh, again, it's just uh, dealing with grief. And I find that a very interesting thing for them to look into. Um, and each of the family members obviously does it differently. Um, but yeah, I, I find this movie at least personally very affecting yeah and i think it does kind of hit that thing where you know if you have you know people who you love who pass away and then you find out things about them after they died uh that completely like blows your mind like how did that even like i i like that's an entire perception of their personality that I had no knowledge about. Right. Uh, and I thought I knew everything about them. And, uh, you know, this movie really delves into that uh, with the Alice character where you find out she was having this uh, sort of weird affair with the neighbors. Uh, and you find out that she had this whole thing in Lake Mungo and she went to the psychic and stuff like that. Like and every time one of those reveals happens, it's like a gasp worthy moment where it's like, oh, my God, like this, especially when the, when they reveal that she went to the psychic who was there earlier in the movie. That was a big thing for me. Me and I was like, oh, my God, did the psychic kill her? Like, right. what? <laughs> like, like, there's so much like like things that could just kind of go from there because the psychic didn't mention it up to that point, which is yeah. which seems like something he should have brought up to the family. <laughs> Yeah, you know, earlier in the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think he tries to deal with that by saying that, oh, I thought it would only bring you more grief, but just, uh, again, it just goes back to how everyone deals with it. The dad just goes right back to work. The mom seeks out the psychic. The son fakes things, so that way there is more examples of Alice is still alive. She's still here somehow. 
And it's only because of his instigating and making shit up that they even find out that the neighbors broke into the house. So, right. uh, like you said, it's just it, it it keeps building on itself. And I think that's that's what makes it so interesting because you never really know. Like they kill off the person who's dead in the first two minutes of the movie. Right. Yeah. Where does it go from here, other than these little side quest things? But it's just uh, each each bit of lore that they introduce, if you can even call it that, is just I don't know. Like you said, it's gasp worthy. And it's it just it freaks me out. I'm looking at my own Skype background right now, and it's kind of freaking me out. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, Mike's is yeah. terrifying. Um, Which I, we should say our Skype backgrounds are photos from Lake Mungo. Lake Mungo. Uh, yes. <laughs> One of the things that I really love love hated about this movie is that it becomes very much about or not not like plot wise, but like within the action of the movie, like about specifically the technology of like 2008. And how everything is like the cell phone footage is from like a flip phone at this era. Um, yeah. And that that lends itself to the creepiest shit ever. Um, <laughs> like just the aesthetic of everything like being switched from like analog to digital at this point is like digital's worse. Um, and everything looks so grainy and shitty and like all the cam- camcorder footage that the sun records in the hallway it's yep. just green enough that you can't really see anything, but like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, then something walks across the screen uh, and you can't, which, you know, is how he's able to so convincingly fake everything because it's kind of you can't really tell anyway. It makes that those scenes, those sequences feel so fucking scary. And they also do this thing, which I don't know if it's like a sound sensitivity thing. Like I do also have like tinnitus. But so like uh, when they are showing a lot of that, like archival footage, quote unquote, I'll call it. There's this like high pitched white noise throughout a lot of it that like I could feel in my throat. Uh, and <laughs> like, I mean, it made me like, like it was just like awful, uh, but it works. Like I think, like I think it's doing that on purpose, obviously just making you feel so uncomfortable that something unnatural is happening right now and you can't quite really see it yet. Uh, and then, you know, we freeze the frame and zoom in on the side, side of the corner, you know, in the corner of the frame and like, Oh, there's Alice standing next to the bed or there's the neighbor or whatever that this movie is like, I think constructed very well to get its point across. Yeah. The whole thing is just unnerving. And even yeah. just every bit of like when they even resolve to something, like yeah. whether it's, oh, it's a wide shot and then they zoom in and no bit of clarification ever makes you feel any better. <laughs> no. If anything, it just makes you feel worse. <laughs> yeah. And that's just the the whole bit of the movie. And did you guys watch through the end credits? Yes. You know, I, they- I, uh, I did not see the very post credit stinger. I didn't realize there was one. Oh. I, I just saw on Wikipedia. There's a thing like after the credits, a figure that maybe Alice stands at Lake Mungo in the darkness, lightning strikes. Oh, which, no, I didn't so see I that didn't, one. Oh, yeah. I, okay, yeah, but but I did see like through the credits before that, like, they, you know, they show like photos that you saw throughout the movie uh, and the stuff that like you thought was hoax is like the stuff that you thought were hoaxes throughout the movie actually like Alice is like in a different corner of is the floor also that you there. didn't see before. Yeah. yeah. Um, and having the benefit of this is my third time watching it, I was able to actually look out for that stuff this time. And okay. that, again, just makes it a million times creepier. And like for a, a fake documentary style movie, a lot of times there's not a lot of rewatchability, but just the way that this movie builds upon itself, it's just, it, there's nothing exorbitant. There's nothing very cinematic about it. Like probably the prettiest visuals that you ever see are an exterior shot of like a, a Badlands in New Zealand and stuff. So it never looks looks great but that's kind of the whole point is that it looks like it's at home made documentary the psychic even has like vhs tapes and stuff but it's just so beautifully dated where it's not oh yeah we got this all on our webcams and stuff like that unfriended movie where it's just Mm -hmm. i I don't know anyway if it's it's like right at that precipice of where technology was 
coming way too old and way too new, and it it lends itself to the material very well. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, this kind of reminded me of uh, like the actual central conceit of it and like what you're starting to see is happening to Alice reminded me of the haunting of Hill house on Netflix, which uh, Nick, have you watched that uh, by any chance? I, I have not now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to partially spoil the haunting of Hill house for you, uh, which I regret because this is a really incredible twist in the haunting of Hill house. So spoilers beware for haunting of Hill house for anybody listening right now. Uh, I have nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> Take your headphones off. <laughs> but uh, in the haunting of Hill House, there's this uh, this thing called the bent neck lady. And there's this uh, girl, I think it's Nell, uh, who her entire childhood and like her adult life, like every once in a while, she'll see a vision of this bent neck lady, this woman who like kind of hangs out in front of her uh, and like her neck is like kind of completely tilted to the side uh, and it freaks her out like her entire life. And about halfway through the haunting of Hill House, it's revealed that uh, Nell was actually seeing her own death and her death was like haunting her throughout her entire life. Uh, And it's generally one of the most terrifying, like it's the scariest thing in that show. Yeah, Uh, it's fucking terrifying. And this movie does something very similar with uh, with Alice and her trip to Lake Mungo, uh, where, you know, she's you see her like, you know, walking through Lake Mungo with her mobile phone footage. And then uh, this like she basically sees what her own corpse looks like as it like comes towards her. Uh, And then from there, like she's a changed person for the remainder of the time that she's alive, which I think is only for like a couple of months at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, She she, like sees what her own death is going to be like. Yeah. Um, Horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, just the, the the inescapableness of it, where like she they they have like the psychiatric tapes where she goes not psychiatric uh, psychic psychic tapes yeah. uh, where she goes to visit him and she just keeps saying how I feel so helpless I can't even go to my parents because this is what's going to happen like there's no escape for it and just that impending sense of doom again they killed the character in the beginning of it but I still feel so horrible for her as this memory of just like this haunted person. And yeah, that's something I've I've not seen Haunting of Hill House, so that uh, that concept has never been shown to me before. So I, that just it's very personally affecting. So yeah, it freaks uh, you out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did. I did also love the sequence where um, it's it's Alice and it's you know, the ba- the past footage of her talking to the psychic on the radio, and he's like leading her through this you know whole scenario where she's in her room and stuff like that, and it's intercutting that with the mom doing something similar, and they're lining up exactly like. On opposite sides of the same story which is pretty wild that was like one of the most intense or i think central parts of the sequences of the movie where they're both having this kind of like guided hypnosis meditation thing and seeing each other and i think like speaking to the helplessness of like them not being able to interact within the scene that they're doing right like alice is saying like i don't think my mom even knows i'm here and the mom is like she's just staring at me like they don't like they're not connect they're not able to connect across this uh bridge or gap and uh like it's like heartbreaking for me (laughs) when i was watching it's like you're so close maybe maybe if you could have reached out somehow (laughs) you would have avoided this but it's that just impending inevitable doom uh right this movie makes you feel horrible and uh, i'm happy to have shared that with both of you (laughs) (laughs) so what was the final uh scene because i stopped the credits i'm so interested in this because it does go back and forth between showing you this like the hoax images you've seen throughout the movie and showing you like actually alice was still here and i stopped in the one that opens the movie where it's the family in front of the house and it kind of zooms in on the window to show you this figure in the window and i was like oh and then it cut back to credits and i was like okay that's got to be the last one so i stopped watching but what is that final post-credit scene yeah nick why don't you go into that because i also missed that post-credit scene (laughs) 
Um, so in full transparency, I knew about the intercuts. I did not know about the thing at the very, very end. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, When I was calling it out, I was just hoping, because I think the first time I watched it, when the credits started, I was like, I'm going to bed. Yeah. Then the second time I realized that there was the hoax footage, I don't know about this lightning bolt in the lake. (laughs) Which means you need to watch Lake Mungo for a fourth time. It sounds like, Um, uh, so on, on Wikipedia, if you look through the plot synopsis at the very end, it says, uh, the credits are intercut with prior footage, revealing several sightings of Alice goes throughout the film that went unnoticed after the credits a figure that may be Alice or her doppelganger stands at Lake Mungo in the darkness as lightning strikes so that's what you see at the very end it sounds like a very quick post credit scene just like one last thing to creep you out yeah uh, as the movie ends yeah I mean that that scene at Lake Mungo when the corpse comes out of the darkness is fucking horrifying my, uh, my background right now yes yes Mike's background because um, <laughs> I feel like that the, you're the movie like traumatizes you in the very beginning not the very beginning but when you first see Alice's corpse like I said <laughs> like I was like lifting the fork to my mouth and then like smash cut to her like bloated distended gross been waterlogged corpse yeah. it's like well put this down now <laughs> um, <laughs> it's an image that stays with you and then when you see it again later in the movie you're like oh shit <laughs> like, fuck yeah and whether you want it to stay with you or not mike's gonna have it as background so yep, just no, forever it's, it's burning in, in, inescapable burning into your brain <laughs> you, you know what nick you almost had it as your background for <laughs> for this podcast too uh well, i will not be a copycat yeah fair enough <laughs> Uh, instead, you have another another one of the photos that was used. I guess it was one of the hoaxes, I think. Right. And then later on. You but she's see, still there. She's there somewhere. Yeah, she's she's still in the corner in the fence. And that's again, it's it's just the little tiny details of this movie that I absolutely adore and uh, freak me out forever. So I, I hope you just stop moving your head, Mike, because you're blocking yeah, it perfectly don't move. right now. <laughs> yeah, this is a great spot for you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, now I feel like the pressure's on and I have to like completely stay stationary and I'm not sure that I can do that. I'm a very animated person when I'm podcasting. Nick. But yeah, so that is Lake Mungo. Any other thoughts about the movie, guys? Anything you wanted to bring up, Nick? I mean, this is your time. You you made us watch this movie. You made us, uh, you know, see these horrible sights that will never get out of our heads. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's just it is a movie that just really freaked me out. It stuck with me like most other found footage movies don't, because a lot of times they jump the shark in some way, shape or form. And this one, I feel like had I not known it was a movie, it could have easily tricked me. Yeah. And even watching it 12 years or 13 years after release at this point, like it's not like any of the people in this movie are famous. You can't look back and be like, Oh, that person went on to do this. That's what I right. know them from. It's not, like, it's not like when you watch Chronicle I, and you see Michael B. Jordan is like one of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's still just as effective today. And uh, honestly, yeah, just even the technology wise, there are people still with flip phones and yeah. horrible. Like I, I know people who still tape stuff on VHSs. So it's, it's still within the realm of like, what we know so it's not like a a relic of past times or anything like that but yeah i just uh, this movie just makes me feel absolutely horrible every time i watch it so uh, i wanted to uh, gauge and see if uh, anyone else felt that way and it it seems like it worked yeah Yeah. it it worked yeah for sure okay uh and i think you know Um, with the found footage aspect there are so many found footage movies um that that feel like you said they jumped the shark in some way or another uh the big one being like you know somebody will ask like why are you still filming it's like because the people need to know 
uh, yeah. and that kind of thing, which Mike, Mike likes to make fun of a lot. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this is a movie that, um, is mostly not found footage. It's mostly document, like, you know, after the fact documentary, like talking head interviews, uh, with the mm-hmm. occasional, like still photo, uh, or footage that was purposefully set up by the sun or there's, I think, I think the only found footage aspect of it really, um, is the stuff at the lake where she drowns, where you see like the, the family mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, taking video of their surroundings, like touristy stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. And her at Lake Mungo, where she's like taping it and she sees the thing of herself come at her. Uh, So so to call this a found footage movie is is, I think a stretch of (laughs) the the word found footage. But I think you're right. It's it's in that vein, but it it really isn't anywhere similar to like I said, it's it's the kind of movie that is made after the footage is found. Exactly. And I I, but I feel like that framing device allows it to work better than because, again, back to what you said. Why are you still filming? Why is anyone doing this in a found footage movie? If someone's compiling it afterwards to go over all the details, then it finally makes sense. So, yeah. This, uh, I guess, yeah. I guess, is this a mockumentary? That's what uh, I saw that... some people call it. And I'm like, I don't know the specifics of that term enough to be like, is that okay. specifically for comedies? Yeah. Or is yeah. this just a fake documentary? <laughs> yeah. Know? I know Spinal Tap. I know Waiting for Guffman. <laughs> I find it weird that that those two movies and this would be in the same sentence at all. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, well, that's that's also the thing. I don't think there have been a ton of fake documentaries that weren't comedies, you know? Yeah. You, you know, this one's presented as if it's a real documentary, uh, and obviously it's fake. But yeah, I think mockumentary mostly comes from the fact that it's typically making fun of documentaries or it's like a, an inherently comedic premise, like This is Spinal Tap, uh, you know, like The Office, for example, is also like a mockumentary type thing. Uh, yeah. And this is decidedly not that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> documentary style. Um, yeah, do- yeah, documentary style. It, it's it lies somewhere in between found footage and mockumentary, I think. Yes. Now that we've labeled it a genre, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll, what we'll, now? We'll just have to wait for that uh, Blu-ray to come out from Second Sight, uh, which unfortunately will probably be Region B because they're a UK company. Uh, we'll just see what they call it. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, and I don't think, I mean, uh, like, like I said, this is a movie that I really had very little awareness of. So I don't think it's a huge movie in America. And it sounds like it's one of those things where Nick, you just kind of like came across it one day. Like somebody mentioned it on a podcast or you're watching a review or something. And then you came across it on Amazon and you watched it. Um, but I, I don't think there's a ton of like audience out there in America for Lake Mungo. So we're getting the word out, which is good. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, and that that if if that's the very least I could do is make people aware of it. That's fine. Because um, yeah, there's again the reason it's probably so hard to define is because there's really no other movies like this. So there are movies that deal with the same themes but in a much different way. So I think it's just the framing of it makes it unique. It's less than ninety minutes, so it's really if you don't like it, it's not that much of your time that you've wasted. It's no chopping mall, but yeah. it's close. <laughs> Two things are. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, All right. So that is Lake Mungo, uh, Mike. Any final thoughts on the movie before we start wrapping this up thanks nick that's my final thought (laughs) (laughs) you're very welcome mike yeah it's always cool to uh, thanks for having me yeah it's always cool to be introduced to a new horror movie that we really had no awareness of so uh yeah, yeah thank you nick for making us watch lake mungo no problem. Let me know when you need me back if you ever run out of content. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well when, when you come back, we'll review, uh, what was the movie you said? Cow Punchers or whatever? What was it? The, uh, crab Monster? Uh, crab oh, Monsters. Crab, crab, crab Monsters. monsters. <laughs> it is a Roger Corman movie from like, ah. the very early 60s. Anyway, Is that we'll, the movie we'll, they're watching in Chopping Mall, I think, actually? It could be. It's been, been a while oh. since I've watched Chopping Mall. I should check that out. I think out. it is. I yeah. do have, like, I might own Crab Monsters on DVD. <laughs> 
because I've got like a, I've got like a Roger Corman box set with a lot of those like late fifties, early sixties uh, movies, uh, and Crab Monsters might be in there. I think I think it could be. Uh, that also includes uh, the original Little Shop of Horrors, which is not very good, but it has like a Jack Nicholson performance, which is a lot of fun, and it has a uh, Dementia Thirteen, the Francis Ford Coppola's directorial debut, which is pretty wild. And then uh, there's one that I really loved back in the day, which maybe I'll throw that in as a, a Mike Makes Mike Watch, uh, called Creature from the Haunted Sea, I think it was. And it has one of the silliest looking monsters uh, you've ever seen in a movie. It's great. <laughs> They're watching Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957 in Chopping Mall. You know what? I think that's okay. the one that I, I think I own that. I think that's <laughs> Attack of the Crab Monsters. Yeah. Yes, I think I, I think have that it. movie. Uh, oh. All right, so Nick, one day you're going to come back on and we're going to talk Attack <laughs> of the Crab Monsters. <laughs> and it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I love to have pigeonholed myself as this <laughs> so far ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are going to be back on uh, yeah, in the near future because uh, I don't I'm not even sure if I cleared this with you yet, but uh, we want you back on for Godzilla versus Kong. OK, uh, when that comes out, because uh, I think in our Godzilla King of the Monsters review, you were you were a guest on that one. And we said when Godzilla versus Kong comes out, Nick, you got to be back. So yeah. uh, <laughs> you signed a two year commitment. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might have the, the closest to a theatrical experience out of any of us with your giant screen. in the that's basement. true. Mm-hmm. It feels great to be sitting alone in my basement watching tentpole movies. Nothing could be better than this. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Where can people find you online this week? Of course, you can find me at Downey Plus Ultra on Twitter. Thought about changing it for Sundance, but I didn't want to lose it. So uh, still exactly the same. And I believe I've been saying this wrong for two years. I am Wormuth on Letterboxd. W-E-R-M-U-T-H. All right. There you go. Have you been saying Nick Wormuth on Letterboxd? Is that what? <laughs> I think I not? said Alaskan Bullworm, which is, I think is my Instagram account. So if anyone wants yes. to see any pictures of me from three years ago and the last time I posted, <laughs> you can see them there. So like me, all of your accounts have different usernames and it is confusing. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which speaking of, I, I as far as Downey Plus Ultra goes on Twitter, I like to imagine there's like one executive at Downey Plus Ultra who is just constantly watching your Twitter account, <laughs> like refreshing the page every 10 seconds and waiting like, is he going to lose it? Is he going to lose it? <laughs> He's going to change it eventually. He's going to change pay it. me if they want it, but no one's reached out. <laughs> all right, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, so that's going to be it for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Crescio, And that is Nick Wormuth. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. And you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, which is a podcast about all kinds of comedy books and movie news and all that good stuff uh so for our next episode mike and i will be back to do some discussions in the meantime our jeff goldblum podcast is weekly we just released our episode on holy man nick you ever seen holy man i don't know what holy man is uh i don't recommend it it's okay. <laughs> not very good jeff goldblum eddie murphy the dream team uh Ugh. it's yeah i mean i love eddie murphy but that, that this was like right in like that period where he's transitioned into doing family comedies and uh yeah, okay. it's, not, it, it's not the best time. But uh, anyway, that's the most recent episode of Jeff Goldblum podcast. Next week, we're talking Goldblum's first animated movie, The Prince of Egypt. Nick, are you a Prince of Egypt fan? Uh, I'm more of a Shrek fan, so uh, I'm, I support DreamWorks's <laughs> latter half after uh, Prince of Egypt already failed. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. Shrek Man, five. I'm, 
Shrek, Shrek 5, 5, stay strong. <laughs> One of these days, it's going to happen. I mean, we're going to talk about that on the episode, how this is like pre-Shrek, uh, so it's before DreamWorks really had a, an identity as an animation studio. This is their second movie right after Ants, uh, which is... <laughs> Which I was a movie. Ants. We we were talking about ants in the last episode because that was the number one movie at the box office. Uh, the week Holy Man came out, oh. <laughs> uh, and we talked about ants and how weird it is that uh, DreamWorks like saw that Pixar was working on a Bug's Life, fast tracked this ants movie into production, and got it out a month before a Bug's Life actually got released. They beat him uh, to it. It's a very very petty move on uh, on DreamWorks's part, but they really had nothing else going on yet. They were pre Shrek. They were, it was the total Wild West of DreamWorks. So we'll be talking about that. And uh, that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. Now we're going to play the theme song and also the trailer for Lake Mungo. What's the theme song? So I always choose right. Oh, Mike's yeah, watching yeah. Mike's movies. We should create a new theme song for the guest makes Mike watch. You, I was gonna <laughs> say just just edit in like Nick. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> just this way we could do it for every guest. It would be very yes. funny. Yeah, Kyle, if you're listening to this, uh <laughs> please do that. Uh take the Mike Mike's Mike Watch theme song and like throw Nick's name in there somewhere. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, otherwise, like, maybe I can do it. We'll see. Just with, like uh, an extended obvious pause. <laughs> Don't make it seamless at all. Yes, absolutely. And be like, let's mank all over again. Yeah, exactly. I love let's mank. That's, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. <laughs>